0: All right, well, good afternoon. You're allowed to respond. It's good to see you guys. Should we turn to a neighbor and say hello, even though we may not recognize them? You can say hello to your family at home, all right? Uh, Well, welcome to our service today. My name is Eddie Bang, and I'm the pastor here at Full Life Ministry, and it's so good once again to worship with people, with live people, In a room, and it's absolutely wonderful to just worship with you. I just love feeling hearts together in one room. And uh, with that said, our you know our doors are open. The limit is 50, but we'd love for you to worship with us at home. Please come if you're free on Sundays. We'd love to have you come worship with us here at one o'clock and uh, enjoy. Especially, I know last week we apologized. The internet went out uh, last week, and we apologize for that. That's why you got to be here, right? That's why you got to be here live. So uh, we can enjoy this time together. So please come, please pray for our service. We'd love to have you. There's just a few announcements that I'd like to go through, uh, and, and then I'll get to my message today. Uh, the first was the service. The second is this. You know, things, uh, church is heading back into, is getting back into swing. And so we decided to start Friday night prayer meetings once again. Yay! Yeah. It starts this Friday. In the exact same room that we've always had it, is it Jerusalem, Bethlehem? Bethlehem, it's the place where he was born, not the place where he died, which is good, okay? So, you know it's the room right across, upstairs, please come. It starts at 7.30, uh, we'll have a, a slightly new format, so we'll, we'll have a chance to pray for things about the church, we'll, have a, uh, we'll give you time to pray for yourselves, uh, personal prayer time, but we'll also give you time to pray with one another And I think that's awesome. So let's come and let's pray together. Let's pray for our church together. Please come Friday, Friday, 730 here at the at this church, okay, in the Bethlehem room, which is the upstairs room. That's purple, I heard in color. Is that correct? That's awesome. You know, purple is the color of royalty. You know, isn't that awesome? we get to, all right, you guys aren't excited. All right, Uh, you know, today's the last day you can turn in your blankets and your sleeping bags to Jesus Cares. If you have a blanket, you know, please wash it. It, You know, if you can't get it in by today, if you can get it in by today, please give it to your CG leader. If you can't do that, you know, let us know today. We'll wait for you. It's okay. You know, what, what matters is that we're trying to help people, you know, who need these blankets and sleeping bags. So please, uh, get those in. Um, lastly, if anyone would like to join a CG, but you're not part of a connect group yet, please either come up to me after service. There's a sign-up sheet in the front. You know, we'd love for you to be a part of a CG. We have a card that tells you when our CGs are meeting, who the leader is, all that kind of stuff. Please be a part of it. I think that's the lifeblood of our ministry or will soon become the lifeblood of our ministry. We'd love for every single person Who's part of full life to be a part of a CG in the future? So, uh, if you'd like to join one, it's available. Let's do that today. Okay. So, let's turn to scripture today. Let's get to our message. Only two verses. Uh, it comes from Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 to 32. Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 to 32. And the word of God reads It has been said, Anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce, but I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this journey that you've been taking us on, and Lord, we're learning so many great things about your heart and the things that you value. Lord, more than anything, help us to hear your voice. And help us to become people that truly, truly, truly want to live out your righteousness within our lives. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. So, you know, we're currently going through a series about Christ's righteousness and how His righteousness is so much greater than the scribes and the Pharisees. And so, you know, we've been learning a lot of great things together. But the big picture is is that those who have Christ's righteousness within their lives live healthy, godly relationships. This is what. Transformation should take place if we're Christians. And so, what we've been learning in the past few weeks is that we learned two weeks ago that Christ's righteousness calls us to live out reconciled relationships within our lives. And last week, we learned that Christ's righteousness calls us to radical purity within our lives. Today, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about marriage and divorce. And here's the main point Uh, radical righteousness calls us to radical marriages. Radical righteousness calls us to radical marriages. Quite honestly, there is so much that I want to talk about here. There is so much that the Bible has to say about what it means to have a holy and God-centered marriage. But I'm just going to keep all the content focused to what Christ is saying today in our passage today. Anything that I tell you, it's so that it can help explain these two verses that we have in front of us. So, uh, you know, divorce and marital unfaithfulness is such a difficult topic to talk about at church. And the reason why it's so difficult to talk about it at church is because... Uh, There are so many people that have been affected by divorce, and there's been so many people who have been hurt by divorce. I think the latest statistics tell us that four out of five people have been either directly or indirectly affected by divorce within their lives. Um, And so, you know, my hope that when we preach and talk about divorce and remarriage, or, or divorce and marriage, sorry is, you know, I hope none of you take this stuff personally. In the sense that I hope none of you take this as personal judgment. You know, we're simply, what we. the reason why we preach these things is because it's in Scripture. And the whole point of teaching these things is not only so you know what God has in mind for your life, but so that, you know, you guys can be empowered to, you know, truly live for Christ. And hopefully, you know, as a result of today that, you know, whatever you gain will help you become a great spouse in the future. And if you're already married, that it'll strengthen your marriage today. That's the goal of today's message. You know, but with that said, you know, the world has changed a lot in the past 30 years, hasn't it? You know, when I, be, when I was a youth pastor in 1995, which is before some of you were born. Uh, I, you know, when, when I was a youth pastor in 1995, I just assumed that all of my high school students, you know, came from a two-parent home. A mother and a father. And honestly, back then in 1995, it was true. By the time that I moved here, but by the time that I moved here to Sydney in 2005, 10 years later, um, the, the demographics of my high school youth group was that 70% of my high school students were from divorced families. And so when a newcomer would come, I would be, hey, how are you, what's your name? And then the first question I would ask is, do you live with both parents? Isn't that weird to ask high school students that question? But that was one of my first questions. That became my norm. And that's how different the world really has become. Um, You know, surveys say that the rate of divorce among Christians is exactly the same as non-Christians. And what that tells me is that uh, the church, what that tells me is that what God thinks about marriage is not penetrating the church. What God thinks about marriage is not penetrating Christians And that needs to change. But what I also discovered is I don't think the church does a good job in teaching what godly marriage is. I don't think the church does a great job in teaching people exactly what God's design and intentions behind marriage is. How many of you have heard a message about God's design behind marriage at church? This is what I'm talking about. You know, we need to learn about this. And hopefully today, you know, I'll I'll gloss over what that is because it's essential for understanding our passage today but we all need to understand this, okay? And hopefully you'll walk away with like, oh my gosh, God's awesome, you know? And his design for marriage is absolutely awesome. So here's what I'd like to do today. I'm gonna begin sharing with you uh, our sermon today. We'll begin with God's intention and design behind marriage. And that way all of us are crystal clear on what God intended from the beginning for you and your future marriage or your current marriage that you're in now. And then secondly, what I'll do is I'll go on to the next point, which talks about divorce and exactly what Jesus is teaching about divorce in our passage today. And then when, then I'll end with some practical suggestions on how to build our marriages and how to build ourselves for marriage if we are single. So there's a lot of teaching today. Let's buckle up. Let's get ready for that. We're going to jump around scripture a little bit today, but I think all of you will love what you're going to hear. So here are our two points for today, and they both speak about God's intention behind marriage. The first point is this. Marriages are to be intimate and permanent. Marriages were designed to be intimate intimate and permanent. Let's look at let's look at Genesis chapter 2 verses 20 to 24. This is God's original design behind marriage in Genesis 2 verses 20 to 24. The word of God reads, "So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky and to all the wild animals. But for Adam no suitable helper was found." So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Now, there were two parts to the design that I want to share with you here, and they, you, can, you can find both of those purposes in verse 24. The first, just like we said, was intimacy. Verse 24 says that the reason why a man leaves his parents is to be united to his wife. God made the woman for man so that they could experience the most intimate relationship that two human beings could experience here on earth. Now, a lot of times we think that the most intimate relationship that two human beings can experience are between whom? A lot of times we think it's between a mother and a child. And it makes sense, right? This woman carries this baby for nine months in her womb and then comes out. That's like the most intimate thing you can think about, right? And so you, it makes sense that, you know, the most intimate relationship should be between a parent and a child or between a mother and a child, but it isn't. God said it isn't. It's between a husband and his wife. Did you notice that? It doesn't say woman, but it says wife in verse 24. And what does that tell us? It tells us that from the beginning, what God had in mind was marriage between a man and a woman. The whole reason for them to come together was so that they could be married. And intimacy was created for marriage. What type of intimacy are we talking about here? Well, that phrase, one flesh, at the end of verse 24, means means two things. The first, it means to be physically one flesh. And that happens when they have Sex. Yay. We get to say that word once again in church. Okay. But what's interesting is that the Hebrew phrase, one flesh, do you know what the word means in Hebrew? It means to know and to know completely. Isn't that funny that's the word for sex? What does that tell us? What is that teaching us? It's teaching us that God created sex. Okay. God created sex to be the ultimate way that you allow someone to know you. Okay. The picture that he's painting is that um, it's the giving of all of yourself to someone else so that they can know you completely. This is the picture of sex, you know. And that's exactly what God intended when he created sex. That's why we don't want you to sleep around. We don't want you to be intimate with you know, anyone and everyone that you wish. We want you to save yourselves for marriage because God always created us to be passionately loved and completely known by someone who knows God and who honors his design for marriage, not only in that person's life, but in yours. Okay? So please don't be intimate with anyone who is not your spouse, physical intimacy. But there's also another aspect of intimacy that this phrase to know tells us, which is spiritual intimacy. Okay, you see, when it says that they became one flesh, the picture is not just of physical oneness, of two uh, bodies coming together, but it's also of spiritual oneness, two souls having the same heart the same vision, the same passion to live for God and to make God greater in this world. And quite honestly, this is probably the most important part of the design of marriage that I want all of you to know. God brought woman to man so that they could become one. And why? The whole reason is so that they could serve God together and work for God together. How do we know that? Verse 20. Verse 20 tells us that God created Eve to be a what? A suitable helper for Adam. Not a partner, but a suitable helper for Adam. What does that mean? What What is she supposed to help him with? What was Adam doing? He was working and tending the garden. He was doing exactly what God commanded him to do. God created Eve for Adam so that together they could serve God and do what God wanted them to do with their lives. The whole point was to make God greater in this world through their service together as one and not you know solo. So, you know, and it's not just this generic spiritual way that we that a man and a woman or a man and his wife are supposed to serve God. It's a very specific spiritual way in the sense that we are all committed as single people, whether we're single or married, we're all care, we're all called to live out the great commission within our lives, right? To to make God greater through the great commission. And so now when we get married, Um, the work that God has called all of us to is through our marriage, how are we making God greater through the Great Commission, through this partnership, right? Every married couple needs to ask themselves, how are we furthering God's kingdom through the Great Commission now that we are married, now that we are spiritually one? And this is the main reason why God brought woman to man and why we are to get married today as Christians. You guys understand that? Is that cool? Okay, good. So spiritual oneness. So there's a lot there. God created intimacy for a husband and wife only physically and spiritually. The second part of God's design behind marriage is permanence. And we find that through the word united, right? For them, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. Now, there are a few words in Hebrew that actually translate united, but this particular one has the connotation of permanence. You are to be united permanently. This is what this Hebrew word means, which means that this is a unity that cannot and is not to be broken, no matter what. It's just not a possibility, right? God's intention behind marriage is permanence. The reason why God, or the reason why is because, and the reason why is because this is God's sacred work. The text is very, very clear. God brought the woman to man. This is what God did. This is God's work, not man's. And because of that, this is ordained by God. And therefore, marriage is sacred in God's eyes. Okay? So that, and Jesus Christ emphasizes that later in Matthew 19.6, you know, we'll, which we'll talk about in a second. But here's the verse, just to throw it out there. Jesus says, Therefore, whatever God has brought together, let no one separate. Did you ever hear that before? Of course you did. You probably hear that every wedding that you attend. But it's true. It's God that brought it together. Jesus saying is that every marriage is God, is God's doing. God is the one that brought this man and this woman together. Therefore, no one, no man, no woman, no husband, nor wife, no matter what they've done, has the authority to break up a marriage. You guys get that? Not only is it permanent but no one has the authority, not even the husband or the wife, has the authority to break apart what God has made. So it's huge. Marriages were always intended to be permanent. Do we understand that? Is that clear? Is that cool? So, let's put all this together. What is marriage? The picture of marriage is total intimacy and a united purpose operating completely within the safety and the security of a permanent, unbreakable promise between a husband and his wife so that they can live their lives completely for God alone. There are a lot of phrases there. Should I say that once again? Here we go. The picture of marriage is total intimacy and unified purpose operating completely within the safety and security of a permanent, unbreakable promise between a husband and a wife so that they can live their lives completely for God alone. This is the picture of marriage intimacy and permanence right and if we understand that correctly then divorce is impossible it is actually impossible because God said he brought this together it's sacred this is his doing no man has the authority to break this thing up it is supposed to be monogamous sacred intimate permanent this is God's design do we understand that cool yes but Eddie you know that happened that all happened in the garden when there was no sin You know, obviously things have changed, right? Because even Jesus says that there's an exception. People can get divorced because of sexual immorality. Why did God change his mind? You were all thinking about that, right? Of course you were. Well, let me, we'll answer that with our second point. The second point of today's message is this. Marriages are to model the gospel. Marriages are to model the gospel. Let's talk about the Bible's teaching on divorce, okay, together, according to Jesus. The definitive passage that talks about divorce is found in Matthew 19, verses 3 to 9. Let's look at that together. Matthew 19, verses 3 to 9. It says, Some Pharisees came up to Jesus to test him. They said, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, Jesus replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason, a man shall leave his wife and mother and be united, or father and mother, and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and then send her away? Jesus replied, "Moses Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. And I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another woman, commits adultery. So do you see what Jesus says here? He says in verse 6, he says, What God has joined together, let no one separate. God's intention was that no divorce was to ever happen. Marriage is permanent and sacred. But then the question is, why did Moses allow it? And that was a question that was posed to Jesus. Why did Moses allow marriage? And Jesus replies in verse 8, what does he say? He says he allowed it because... Your hearts were hard. What does that mean? You know, what happened in Moses' day, and how does that prove that their hearts were so hard? In order to answer that question, we need to look to Deuteronomy 24. So let's flip left in our Bibles, Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 to 4. Here's the passage. It reads, If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce gives it to her and sends her from his house and if she after and if after she leaves his house she becomes the wife of another man and her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce gives it to her and sends her from his house or if he dies then her first husband husband who divorced her is not allowed to marry again after she has been defiled that would be detestable in the eyes of the lord do not bring sin upon the land the lord your god is giving you as an inheritance, what does this passage mean? Well, let me just decipher it for you in order to understand this passage well and why Jesus concluded that Moses offered the certificate of divorce because their hearts were hardened, we need to understand what was happening. We need to understand the culture of what was happening at that time when Moses wrote this, okay um, you see back then, many thousand years ago, women had no rights, okay. If they got married, they were completely under the authority of their husband. The husband held all the rights. So back then, if a woman or if a husband found something displeasing about the wife, and that's what it says in verse 1, right? Something displeasing about the wife. It says that he could divorce her. Now, that word displeasing is a very difficult word to uh, translate. And so whenever we find something that's difficult to translate or understand, we always try to look, hey, where else in the Bible did they use this word? displeasing, and that might give us some insight as to what it means. There's actually only one other place in all of scripture where this word displeasing is used. It's absolutely rare. And believe it or not, when they use this word displeasing in scripture, it actually refers to, believe it or not, human defecation. Okay, so if we understand all that, then whatever he finds about this woman to be displeasing, it better be absolutely displeasing. And because it's so rare, I think divorce was meant to be extremely rare. And so divorce was always meant to be only in extreme cases where there was something absolutely displeasing about this woman. And even if that happened, let's say that actually happened, you found something displeasing and decent, like, totally about this woman, divorce was actually given to protect the woman, not to give rights to a man. You see, knowing that women had no rights men, if they were displeased with their wives, could just abandon them, you know? And if a man abandoned his wife in that culture, she could not get a job. She could not marry someone else because she was always under the authority of this husband and everyone knew it. And so many of those women back, so that's why, you know, many of those women back then, they actually ended up living a very, either a destitute life and, or many of them died in society on the streets because they were just abandoned. So to prevent that and to stop that, God decided to give a certificate of divorce so that this woman could be freed from the man's marriage authority who abandoned her. Do you guys get that? This was the original intention of a divorce. And so, but then it says, if she then becomes the the wife of another man and then he divorces her, What happens is this woman now, there's two strikes against her, and a lot of times the way she's viewed in society is very, very, very negative. And so a lot of times what would happen back in Jewish society is the original husband would come back and marry her because he knows that her only path is death. So he would marry her basically to exploit her. It was very, very evil. And that's what this passage was talking about. And so that's why a certificate of divorce was given. So, and what you need to understand since we understand God's design behind marriage is none of this was ever God's intention. Marriage was to be permanent. Even if there was something displeasing or indecent, they were to stay married because, but because women were literally being thrown away and destroyed by men, God allowed a certificate of divorce to be issued to free this woman from that man's right. So you guys understand that? And if you understand that divorce was then simply a divine concession to human weakness and evil. That's why divorce was originally given. So to get back to our original passage from today in Matthew, Jesus is teaching these people, hey, we know, we all know it's common knowledge in our society today that if any man wants a divorce, all he has to do is find something displeasing or indecent about his wife, and then he can get divorced. So what was it, so if we understand what Jesus is saying, he's saying what was intended to be a concession to protect the woman over time had become so demented that now it has become a right that empowered the husband. right, do you guys see that? It's become so demented. Now, what was supposed to be so rare and what was supposed to be so absolutely displeasing to society has now become, you know, and and something that was offered to protect the woman has now become something where every man just feels like he has this right. If I don't find, if I find one little thing that's displeasing about my wife, I'm just going to divorce her. There are documented divorces in the temple where people got a divorce because the wife uh, woke up one morning and just didn't look good, right? There's a documented divorce where uh, the wife one night burned the man's dinner, and so they were allowed a divorce, any and every reason. And so what Jesus is referring to is saying, look, this has all gotten out of hand here. You guys have totally, you know, messed up not only God's design behind marriage, but you guys have messed up even the reason why God even allowed divorce to happen in the first place. And all this is contrary to God's intentions. And so Jesus comes along in this verse today and he says, no more. We are going to stop all this. There is no more divorce except for sexual immorality. And I'll explain that in a second. But basically what Jesus is saying is anyone who divorces for any other reason commits adultery. And that actually floored people at that time. Why? Because people thought that divorce was a God-given right. You know, if I find something displeasing, I'm just going to divorce her. And that's exactly what they were doing. But Jesus says, no. What God has joined together, let no one, no man, no woman, uh, no one has the authority to separate. Therefore, divorce is impossible. And anyone who divorces, anyone else commits adultery. Why? Because in God's eyes, they are still married. Marriage is permanent in God's eyes. So, but what about this exception, sexual immorality? What does sexual immorality mean? Why did Jesus allow it? And once again, to understand this, we need to understand what sexual immorality means and the culture back in, the Jewish culture back in Jesus's day. The word immorality here is translated as any unlawful sexual Activity. Remember we said last week that the only sexual activity that God ordains is between a husband and his wife. That's it. Anything outside of that is unlawful sexual activity. Specifically things like adultery, homosexuality, bestiality. These things are all included in that word immorality. In the Old Testament, if you read the Old Testament law, those specific things were punishable by death. People were stoned to death if they were caught doing these things. However, by time you know, there was a Roman occupation of Israel. And so the Roman government didn't allow people to be stoned to death just because you were unfaithful to your wife. And so what the Jewish leaders decided to do is in, instead of stoning people to death, which they couldn't any anymore under Roman law, they decided to grant divorces instead. So divorce replaced death, right? So that's what was happening in Jesus's time. So then the question is, well, why then could you even get divorced if God's intention, if everyone knew that God's intention behind marriage was for it to be permanent? And the answer, once again, is that it's a divine concession to human weakness. That's what it is. If your spouse is unrepentant, and if your spouse continues to sleep around and to have unlawful sexual activity with others, then that continuing Adultery is grounds for divorce because that person is continually breaking you know, that vow. But what I want to point out once again is that this is a concession. It was allowed by Christ, but it is not commanded whatsoever. This was never God's intention. What is the preferred action if a person finds out that their, spo- their spouse is unfaithful to them? The preferred action is what? reconciliation we talked about that two weeks ago okay i mean reconciliation is it because that's what christ and the gospel is all about isn't it reconciliation is everything that god is all about it's about god forgiving those who don't deserve forgiveness whatsoever this is what the gospel is right it's about god stubbornly pursuing spiritual cheaters it's about God continually pursuing spiritual adulterers like us, you know? But no matter how many times we might be unfaithful to God, what does he always do? He always loves us, forgives us and welcomes us home. Isn't it? Isn't that what the gospel's all about? Isn't that what reconciliation is all about? And this is exactly what Jesus wanted us to mirror in our marriages. No matter how many times we turn away, no matter how many times we run away, no matter how many times we continually prostitute ourselves to this world, his grace and his forgiveness for us is limitless. This is who God is, and this is the heart of God. This is the commitment that we always find Christ has to his church, and this is the exact commitment that he wants every husband and wife to mirror in their marriages. Ephesians 5.25 says what? It says, husbands, Love your wives just as, those are the two biggest words, husband, love your eyes just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. What is this saying? It's saying that husband and wives are to love each other exactly like Christ loves the church. That means forgiveness and grace no matter what, no matter how many times they've been unfaithful, no matter how, many, not how, how often or in what ways or in what manners they're unfaithful, we always find forgiveness and grace whenever the church comes to Christ. And in the same way, husband and wives are to mirror that to each other. Ephesians 5, 31-33. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And this is actually really, really profound here. Do you guys do you guys recognize verse 31 in, up here? It says for what? It's the Genesis passage, isn't it? Right? Verse 31. And what Jesus is doing here is that he is equating his relationship to the church to the Genesis passage, which means that he expects our love for our spouses to mirror his love for the church exactly. That's exactly what it's saying here. It is to be intimate and permanent. It is to be saturated with generous grace, and it is to be saturated with genuine forgiveness. This is what marriage is supposed to be about. It is to mirror The gospel. And if you just read that whole chapter of Ephesians 5, it is is absolutely filled with this description of a sacrificial and absolutely selfless relationship where each spouse is committed to building their spouse, the other spouse, to love God, serve God, and become like God with everything that they have. This is the picture of marriage that God had always intended: spiritual oneness, physical oneness, but spiritual oneness to serve God together. So marriages are to model the gospel. That's why, if you talk to any professor or a theologian or pastor, they'll always tell you that the family is actually the first church that God ever created because families, marriages, are to mirror the love between Christ and the church. This is huge. But to the sadness of God, divorce is allowed, right? When the spouse is sexually immoral. But it is not preferred, reconciliation is preferred. Why? Because God always designed marriage to reflect the gospel, not only in the New Testament. We think it's a New Testament thing, it's not. It's also in the Old Testament. Did you guys know that there's a whole book in the Old Testament that was specifically dedicated to one thing? And that one thing was to show off what the gospel was supposed to look like in human marriage. Did you guys know that there was a book specifically written for that? It's called the book of Hosea. Anyone read the book of Hosea here? Let me tell you what it's all about. It's amazing. Hosea was this man who was a prophet of God who was called to love an unfaithful prostitute named Gomer. Great names. Uh, Hosea was called to love an unfaithful, or called to marry and take, his, and take for a wife this unfaithful prostitute named Gomer. And all throughout this book, all you see is Hosea covering the sins of this unfaithful wife. That's this whole book. Okay? It's supposed to mirror, mirror God's love for Israel, Christ's love for the church. Gomer leaves Hosea after having three children with him. And it goes on to, the text goes on to say that she just lived with man after man after man after man. man Continues just to live with men and to have sex with them. And every single man that she lived with was poorer than the next one. But what's amazing is that with every man that she slept with and lived with, Homer, oh Homer. You know, Hosea would go, Hosea would go to these men that his wife is that's living with his wife. And he would give this men these men money and say, I love my wife. I don't want, I want, I want her to be taken care of. So here's money. Even though she's living with you, I love her. So here's money. Please take care of my wife. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that illogical? Right? And but that's the illogical love of God. Gomer's life then sinks even deeper. Um, She is becomes so poor and rejected that she becomes a slave. And according to Jewish tradition, um, she was put on the slave block to be auctioned off. And you know, they're put up there naked. And so, you know, all of a sudden at the the slave auction, uh, Hosea goes and buys her for like 15 pieces of silver, a little bit more than 15 pieces of silver. And it's amazing because he had to go and buy his own wife back. But that's our text, and that's the story. Hosea 3, 1-3, I want you to read this. Hosea 3, 1-3, says, The Lord said to me, The Lord said to me, Go, show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love sacred raisin cakes. Raisin cakes must have been awesome. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley. Then I told her, here we go, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any other man. And I will behave the same way toward you. What does Hosea say here? He says to her, you are now to be mine permanently. No longer will you be a prostitute or be intimate with anybody else. Only me. Do those words permanent and intimate, do they sound familiar? You must be faithful to me alone. But, and this is the best part, I will also be faithful to you only as well. Isn't that the gospel? Right. Did you guys not see that? This is like one of the greatest like, shows of the gospel in Scripture. All of us, we were prostitutes. We were spiritual adulterers to Christ. We loved. We loved everyone, and we loved everything else but Jesus. But no matter how many times we may have betrayed him, No matter how many times we turned away, he was always pursuing us. He was loving us and supporting us, even when we didn't know it, and even when we didn't even care. And then in the end, he bought us back to be his forever through the death of Christ his son. And now that we are his, he demands that we be intimately and permanently committed to him alone, just as he is to us. And if we are married, that is what our marriages are to be as well. Models of reconciliation, models of grace, models of unconditional love and forgiveness. This is what marriage is. And this is why God hates divorce, because it completely violates everything that he is and everything that he sent Jesus Christ for. But he allows it because he knows that we are weak and we are evil. Divorce is a divine concession for human weakness, but he hates it. He'd much rather prefer we reconcile instead. Do you guys understand this? Do you guys understand all this? Marriages are to be intimate and permanent. Marriages are to be models of the gospel. Radical righteousness calls us to radical marriages. Do you know how hard that is to live out of marriage like that? I know I've been talking to a lot of you young folk, and the first thing you guys say to me is, Hey Eddie, I heard that you guys, you don't, know, you're against marriage. You don't want us to get married. It's not that I don't want you to get married, it's because you need to understand how hard marriage is. Do you wanna live this life? Do you know how hard that is? It's hard enough to live for Jesus by yourself, man. But now you got to do it with another person. You're responsible to do it for that person. Do you know how hard that is? I wouldn't want any of that for any of you. That's why I tell you not to get married because it's very, very difficult. Not for my wife. My wife's an angel. It's easier if you married my wife, but you know, But for anybody else, it's really hard. And so you know that's the only reason why I say don't get married. But no one listens. Everyone else gets married anyway. Radical righteousness calls us to radical marriages. What I'd like to do is I'd like to end with just a few suggestions um, to help you live this out. Number one, know you are forgiven. You know, God is very black and white about premarital sex. Okay? Don't do it. You know, and for, for the reasons that we gave this week and for last week. And I know this world, you know, if you're here, if you're sitting here today or if you're watching at home and you are a virgin, please celebrate it. And please, please, please stay one until you get married, okay? Please. It's absolutely awesome that you are. I know that it's difficult to be a virgin in today's world today, but radical righteousness calls us to radical purity, so please remain pure. And seriously, every single day, celebrate how awesome that is, okay? Good. But there might be some here or some listening who may have stumbled in this area. And I want you to know that, you know, God does not judge you. God loves you, God forgives you He doesn't judge you He doesn't condemn you whatsoever He forgives you completely, He loves you completely There's nothing that can change His love for you, you know the Bible says That that which was once as red as crimson Is now made as white as snow Through the blood of Christ And if you have faith in Christ Then you can be made pure once again That's what's awesome about the gospel There's nothing that can change you being The apple of God's eye That's why I stay in Christ I love that. Uh, The church as well does not condemn you nor judge you. Some arrogant, stupid Christians might judge you or condemn you, but the church doesn't and shouldn't because we're all spiritual adulterers in God's eyes. We're all guilty, okay? So we don't. With that said, if you are or have been or or are currently sexually active, will you please stop today? Will you please stop today? There's a difference between making a mistake in the past or maybe making a few mistakes in the past and continuing the same direction of your life. There's a big difference between these two things, right? Please repent of your sins. Please turn away from this direction and move towards God, right? He has something great for you in your marriage. So let's please stop that today. Just like marriage for those who are in Christ, God will never divorce you. Know that you are loved and forgiven. Number two, forgive and restore others okay you know some of us may have come from divorced families and there might be a lot of hurt and blame that we have towards our parents it's understandable but what you need to understand and you'll understand it much more as you grow older is that your parents have gone through a lot that you don't know you know they've gone through a lot of hurt and stuff that you don't know Um, if you haven't already I hope that you've taken the position of forgiving your parents you know (sighs) Um, And I hope that you become an agent of restoration for them. You know, love them, model Christ to them, and let them encounter God's gospel and God's grace through you. I know that's a difficult ask because I know that, you know, children are the ones that are really the biggest victims. Um, But we have a great opportunity to model the gospel to our parents and to love them as Christ would. Let's practice that. Um, Some of us here might even be divorced, and I know this is, I know that what I'm about to say is not that easy, Um, and it might even sound a little insensitive when I say it, but I really believe if God was here, he would probably ask you to do the same, so I'm going to say it. If there is any way that your marriage can be reconciled, will you please prayerfully consider it? Um, If not, I hope that forgiveness and blessings characterize your separation. And even in divorce, I hope you choose to be Christ and to model love and grace even to your ex. Okay. Thirdly, if you're married, guard your marriage. Okay. Um, Or grow in your marriage. Three suggestions. Number one, love your spouse more than your kids. Okay this is really hard if you have kids because anyway love your spouse more than your kids okay kids are so innocent they're not but they're so cute but love your spouse more than your kids please love your spouse more than your kids invest in your spouse you know especially your heart okay number 2 build your spiritual oneness you know the question i want to ask a lot of christian couples is do you guys actually live for god together or are you simply married and happen to be Christian? You know, there's a big difference. You know, one is a a couple that literally is focused upon living for God, that they want to use their, their relationship, their family, their money, their resources, they want to use their union for God's glory and to make him greater. The other is just people who just happen to be Christian, but they're married. Big difference, you know? And so how do we encourage spiritual oneness between couples? You know, talk about it for, if you've never talked about it before, talk about it today. Hey, how do we live, how can we live for God together? How can we make God greater because we're together now? How can we use your gifts and my gifts and my passions and your passions and your history and my history in such a way that we can do something to make God greater in this world? If you've never asked that question with your spouse, I encourage you to do that today. You know, if you need help doing that, I'm here for you. This is like my passion you know, I don't know if it's my gifting, but I love that. So, you know, learn how to become spiritually one and to make God greater through your marriage. Thirdly, practice reconciliation continually. You know, if your spouses hurt you, forgive and love them as Christ does the church. Ask God to continually heal your hurts and restore you so that you can be an agent of grace to your spouse. Okay, be the gospel to each other. Now, fourthly, if you're single I have two suggestions I want to share with you, and this will help you become a great spouse later on in your life. And here's the first one. Be a great child to your parents. Okay, that's it. That's the biggest and greatest advice I can give you. Okay, be a great child to your parents. You know, the most intimate relationship that a person can share in this world with another human being is husband and wife. But before you get married, I think it really is to your parents. Okay, that's the most intimate relationship we can have. Someone who is not investing in that relationship as a child, no matter how old you you as a child might be, it's someone who's not investing in their future family. I'm not saying that it's impossible to be a great spouse if you don't invest in your future family in your current family today, but what I believe is practice makes perfect. You, you know, you think, oh, well, you don't know my parents, man. They're so difficult and they're so, under you know, they don't understand me. Just wait till you get married, okay? It'll be difficult and, you know, your spouse won't understand you and then it'll be a lot more difficult. Uh, But practice makes perfect. Whatever habits you practice towards your parents now are the habits that you will probably practice towards your future. Spouse. On a very practical level, especially if you're dating, if the person you're dating isn't committed to their current family now, how can you be confident that this person's going to be committed to their marriage tomorrow, right? Or to your family tomorrow? How a person treats their family and relates to their family today is usually a very good indication of how they will treat their marriages tomorrow. So practice right? What are some habits we can practice with our family today? Commitment. Are you committed to your parents? Are you committed to them? Do you submit to their authority? Marriage is about mutual submission, right? And trust me, it's harder, right? Uh, Do you serve your parents? Are you intimate with your parents? Do you share with your parents things upon your heart, things that you want them to pray for you about? All these things, you know, do you forgive your parents? Do you show grace inside your house? These are the characteristics that make an amazingly godly spouse. You can practice them right now, single people, okay? Please don't practice these things with your current boyfriend or girlfriend. Please don't ever demand any of these things from them, okay? Okay? You are demanding something that your boyfriend or girlfriend was never meant to give you, but were only meant to give either their current family today or their future family tomorrow after they get married. Don't do that. Instead, demand that your boyfriend or girlfriend be a great child to their parents, okay? Are we cool? That goes countercultural to what I learned in the Korean drama, Eddie, but sorry, I don't care. You know, number two for single people, practice spiritual oneness with your same gender friends, okay? Practice spiritual oneness with your same gender friends. You know, if you know that God created marriage so that two if you know that God created marriage so that two people can love God and serve God together, then the best way to prepare for that is to love God and to serve God together with someone now. It just makes sense, right? That's what we're supposed to be doing. How are we supposed to know how to live for God and to make plans to make God greater with someone else if we're not doing that now? The great thing is that the Bible calls us to that. It's called discipleship, okay? Discipleship is when you choose to walk with somebody intimately so that you guys can now live for God together, grow to to know Christ together, to actually make, make plans to do things for God together and to make God greater. This is what discipleship is all about. And that's exactly what he's called us into. If you are not helping or training people to grow now, how do you expect to do it later on when you're married with your spouse and with your kids? If you're not training yourself to submit to others and to listen to others and to learn from others now, how do you expect to do that when you're married tomorrow? You can't. You need to be training how to do that now. The worst way you can do that is how? That's right with your current boyfriend or girlfriend. I am totally against this. Practicing spiritual oneness with someone of the opposite gender who is not your spouse is against God's design. It is too, you know, I know there's a lot of pastors who say, oh, if you're dating, you should have quiet times together, pray together, all that kind of, stuff. I think that's absolute baloney, right? Because it's too intimate. And there's a lot of other undercurrents that drive why you guys are doing that, and I don't like that so and those things can have potentially very costly consequences later on, you know in your lives, even if you do end up getting married. so if you are currently in a relationship and want some coaching in that area, please come talk to me as well. I'll help you the best way that I can, okay, please don't be scared of me, but come, you know okay uh enter into purposeful intentional discipleship relationships with people of the same gender. We need to learn how to do that. We need to learn how to grow in Christ, grow other people in Christ, so that we can become great spouses and great parents later on who disciple our families closer to Jesus. All right, so radical relationships or radical righteousness calls us to radical marriages. You know, the state of Christian marriages is nothing to boast about, and the main reason, in my opinion, is because Christians simply have not been taught God's designed for marriage. We don't fear it as well. And, you know, even if we teach it, which we don't, we're not doing well, you know, we don't follow it, which we now need to do. God wants all of you guys to have great marriages. He does. You know, God wants all of you to have a marriage that flourishes you in Christ, where you can flourish your spouse in Christ, where you see your children have visions to live for God and to make God greater. You know, this is why God brought woman to man. And that can happen in your life. That's what God wants for your life. But we need to make sure that we are actively doing that in our lives. It doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen passively. These are intentional things that we must start practicing and putting into our lives so that God can become greater today, no matter what relationship status we currently are in. So if you're married, we have a lot of work ahead of us. Let's be the best spouses we can be so that our marriages align with God's design If we are dating or single, then let's dedicate our lives to making sure that we become the best spouse you can be for God's glory today. Let's pray. You know, the church traditionally, especially I think the Korean immigrant church, has done a terrible job in teaching and training people to have godly marriages. And I apologize for that. I'm really sorry for that as a pastor. You know? And I really hope to change that as a pastor. I hope to change that within our church. Because marriage is the most important relationship that anybody can have. And God designed it that way. And God designed for marriages to flourish. God designed marriages to be places where His glory radiates. Where people can come to see Christ, experience Christ, and know the grace of Jesus Christ through your marriage. It's an amazingly beautiful thing. It's an awesome thing. But unfortunately, marriages today in the church, a lot of times we don't reflect that because number one, we don't know what God designed. Number two, we haven't been taught nor trained. And number three, we don't discipline ourselves to fear God's design and follow it. We need to do that. We need to get serious about marriage, whether we're married or single. And as we go into prayer today, I want you to commit yourself to being a better spouse, whether you're married or single. Practice discipleship. Commit yourself to love your immediate family just as Christ loves the church. That might mean your spouse, that might mean your parents, that might mean your brother or sister. Model the gospel with your life. Let's pray. within our hearts even now Father continue to speak into the hearts of every single person not only in this room but every single person that might be watching or listening Lord we pray that these truths might just really dig deeply and take a hold of us God we know that marriage is marriage is like the most intimate relationship it's the most important relationship that we could have within our lives when marriages break up families break up and society breaks up Lord it's so powerful so Lord I know that it is your will that we all have marriages that honor you, that make you greater. But Lord, teach us and train us on how we can do that today. Give us the wisdom and the discipline to choose correctly. Lord, to choose a right partner, to choose the right direction with our lives, to make choices, God, to honor you so that we could build ourselves to be great spouses tomorrow. And Lord, I pray for each one of the people here, God, that you will just give them your confidence that you are in control of their lives. God, that you love them with all that you have, that their lives are securely within your hands so they can trust you for tomorrow. They can trust you even today. And Father, give them the confidence to step forward and to take steps forward so that they can become a great spouse for your glory tomorrow. And Father, for those who are married, Lord, I pray that you just give them the courage to make to have these courageous discussions so that their marriage now can be centered upon you and intentionally centered upon you. Father, give them the courage to even change the direction and focus and heart and investments that they make so that you and your glory might be the ultimate goal and joy and satisfaction and result in their lives. Lord, we pray that you will transform our marriages so that you might truly be the center. And Father, may marriages in this church truly be places where your gospel and your glory is seen and experienced and shared father for your honor and glory we thank you god for all that make that happen within our ministry we depend upon you for that in jesus name we pray amen